Thanks so much for joining us today on the Port City Church podcast. With four campuses scattered throughout southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit our website at portcity.church. Good morning. How's everybody doing? We're glad to see you guys all in the room, and we are certainly uh, glad to welcome everyone who's watching and participating with us uh, online. There's 13 days until my favorite time of the year. Now, if you've been around any length of time, you know that uh, my favorite time of year is, as much as uh, people are disappointed, it's not Christmas. Uh, It's not even Easter because of what I do for a living. It is the week after Christmas. I love the week after Christmas and uh, between that and New Year's, because it's just like my time. I like to be able to think about how to close my year out. Um, I like the personal retreat. I like getting ready for my one word of 2021. And for a lot of us, we're going to think, oh my gosh, 2020 is finally over. And um, we're going to put a lot of hope that 2021 is going to look different as soon as the calendar changes, and it probably ain't. So part of why what we're talking about is so important is because of that very thing. A lot of us put a lot of hope and a lot of desire into things that just seem to get pushed off further and further and further. And we keep reaching and grasping for something, hoping that it will finally do what we hope it'll do, only to find that it doesn't. And there's a way for us to endure, to live in this. And really, I think this is the call of of joy. And we've been talking about this. We started this a couple weeks ago, really just kind of reflecting in this whole entire season on the concept of joy, starting in, the, in uh, November the 28th and just talking about joy, right? Remember this? We did this. Joy. Everybody do this again? Practice this? Anybody had to do this to anybody this week again? Just got to remind people every once in a while, hey, hey, joy. And the reason this is so important is not to make you going to, it's not to guarantee you're going to feel joy or it's not to say that you should have more joy. It's to say, hey, something more is available. And this is how I want for us to explore. Now, Although my favorite time of year is going to come up after Christmas, I have done much better uh, this Christmas. You can ask my wife. She's over here. I usually fall on the Grinchy side of Christmas, but I've been very good this year. Right? I've listened, we've been listening to Christmas carols since probably July, and that's just how we roll in my house. I've lost complete control in it, but that's what we do. And um, so, so with that, I've been, I've been re- listening to Christmas carols. I've been reflecting on songs. And one of the things that I, I love to do personally um, is because so much of my life for so long was so fast and so future and all the things that are the thrill of like working on watching something grow and be built. And it wasn't just, you know, the church was a lot of things in my life. And so you just, and, and you realize that what happens that if something happens to your soul, something happens to your heart, you become very accustomed to things uh, being done and done on time and done in a certain way. And you become very intolerant when they're not done that way. You start to lose capacity to enjoy things because things are just so fast and there's so much to get done. And so part of what I want to do in this is to help us uh, do a couple of things. Uh, we've been talking about this idea of joy. And all of, all of us can believe and know that that is available to us. But it is very different to understand that there is joy that is made available and to actually enjoy what has been given or made available to us, right? We all can can agree with that. A lot of us would acknowledge intellectually, hey, we love the idea of joy. We don't have the time or the space to actually enjoy 
the joy that we're finding. It's out there. We know it's available. We just haven't found a way to experience. That's what I want for us to reflect on. When I think about Christmas, I've been sort of trying to, to manage some time. You know, I've done this consistently for a long time, my personal quiet time, but to really emphasize worship and reflection and meditation and things that just really force me to slow down for the specific purpose to enjoy being with God. Not to get him to tell me what I need to do, not to grant some requests I'm asking, just to enjoy being with God. I think a lot of our relationships suffer because they're so product, uh, productivity oriented, they're so economically driven, there's a transaction. When they're not doing what we want them to do, we don't have any capacity to enjoy them because we just don't know what it means to enjoy a relationship or to enjoy the joy that comes from that. This is exactly what really the entire scriptures are about. It began in the very beginning with God creating everything that we see. In the beginning, God created. He spoke in the world, and there was light, and there was planets, and there were stars, and there was all these things, this authority structure, this governing of days and nights and seasons. The psalmist would record like this, that the heavens declare the glories of the Lord, and day after day it pours forth his speech. We look and we see and we wonder and we behold all that God has made, and it causes us to, to see him and to seek him and to, be, to wonder about him. It goes all the way through. This is, this is the, the, I mean, just, it's just page after page after page. And what we were designed to do is to live in and to enjoy God's great love for us. And in that love, to find the life that we've been created for. What we talked about, I began this series talking about this, that, that neurologists and psychologists have been studying. What is it that drives human beings? What is it that humans want? What is it that we're hungry for? What is it we're thirsty for? What they found is that our ambition, our drive, isn't always tied to producing new and cooler things. Our, our drive, the fundamental drive of human, human beings is the, the pursuit of joy. And the way that this, is not from a, this is not from a biblical standpoint. This is what they found when they were doing just research in science. And, and uh, a, a, a researcher in UCLA actually wrote a lot about this. And they talk about this and they said that joy is basically the emotion or what, what a human experiences when they see that they are pleasing to another person. And he began to connect it relationally. And this isn't new because this is actually precisely what the scriptures teach us, what we just read. Psalm 16, there is fullness of joy where? In the presence of God. When you see him and you recognize that he loves you and that he cares for you and that he is for you. And he has made a way for us to live in that and for that to be fully redeemed in our lives and that's really what's been made available to us. And how we go about doing this or dealing with this is really important. We've been talking about joy in a couple of different ways. And we've been talking about it in a way to say that number one is joy. And I'm just going to put this up there for my own notes. It is pervasive so that it doesn't rest on our circumstances, so that it doesn't become circumstantial. Right? We talked about that week one. Last week, we talked to Rylan. I hope some of y'all enjoyed Rylan's story. It's pretty incredible to hear how he processed that. We talked about joy having the capacity to shape what we see. It's formative. It frames our view. It is formative so that it does not become subjective, so that it's just not made, um, it's not weakened by circumstances and what's happening in the world around us, that there's something more substantive to it. And then today, we're going to talk about this. Let's see if this one's better. There we go. Today, we're going to talk about the fact that this joy has the capacity to be sufficient so that it doesn't make us graspy. I love this word. It's one of my favorite words. You can't find the dictionary. I made it up. 
But what graspy is, graspy is the idea that everybody wants to feel a certain way. You want to feel something. And when you don't feel like you think you ought to feel or like you deserve to feel, what you will start doing is you will start trying to take that from other people. You'll start trying to get them to, my, my kids come in, because I'll say, I'll show my kids something, and they're famous for this, like something I'm getting and I'm excited about, and they'll go, Dad, stop fishing for compliments. Uh, and I'm like, okay, and that's, that's grassy. We're always trying to set things up so someone will make us feel about ourselves the way we think that we deserve to feel or want to feel, or in some cases, demand to feel. That's graspy. And if we don't have anything that we're building our lives on, that's what's gonna happen. When I've been thinking about these Christmas songs, one of the things that uh, I've been listening to several songs on repeat, and I was introduced to a song earlier this week. Uh, it's called How Low Was Our Redeemer Brought? And there's a line in it that just is really powerful. And it goes along with what we're talking about. It says that it talks about the incarnation, Jesus coming to earth, God with us. Think about this. God himself, the one who created everything, entered in to what he had created as one that had been created as human, as flesh and blood. And it says that the ever-flowing spring of joy has come to share our thirst. God himself came, the one who is the, the spring, the everlasting spring of all that we need and all, that's, all the source that we require, the total sufficiency for us. And he subjected himself to flesh and blood to share the things that we long for the things that we're hungry for, the things that we thirst for, to share in that. This is an incredible picture for us to think about and to wonder about here at Christmas time. In fact, when I began to think about this whole idea is why don't we enjoy things? Why don't we enjoy things? My mind began to just kind of you know, go in a lot of different directions to try to figure out, is it just time? Is it just us to make sure we do have a quiet time and read our Bibles? Or is it just to make sure we do our personal retreat, which we're gonna be making available to you again this year? If you're not familiar with that, we'll have more information about that coming. But really what it is, I think that there's something to this, that when we sort of set our minds to things, we think about things, that the posture of enjoyment is wonder. And we've lost wonder. As an adult, we just sort of get it beat out of us. We just stop wondering about things. We stop wondering. When we were kids, everything is cool. It's, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Dad, did you say that? Yeah, I know how that works. It's not cool anymore. It's like we just understand everything to oblivion, and it's no longer mysterious or wonder driven. And I'm talking about a wonder, not like you wonder how people drive that way or how people do that. I'm talking about a wonder that inspires awe to see things and to wonder about things. I'm very fortunate that I grew up uh, with a middle school or an elementary school librarian. My mom is a middle school, uh, elementary school librarian. So I grew up with Dr. Seuss and Bill Pete and Big Bad Bruce and the Wing Ding Dilly and One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. I can quote all those books. And so my mind was always awakened. Right, Dr. Seuss says, think and wonder, think I wonder and think, how, many, how much water can 55 elements, elephants drink, right? There's this picture of just being able to set our minds on things and just to wonder, to be amazed at things. We've lost our capacity to do that, and with that goes our capacity, I think, to enjoy things, particularly to enjoy God. Eugene Peterson says this, that the wonder keeps us open-eyed. Wonder keeps us open-eyed, alive to life, that there is always more available to us, to wonder. When's the last time you've been moved? When's the last time something has spoke to you so deeply that it kind of, that it brought like joyful tears to your eyes? Most of us, we don't have time to do that. And if we do, the weight of everything else tends to choke out 
That, that posture, that place, and the posture, the, the way for you to be able to enjoy is to awaken, to awaken wonder, to be curious. I mentioned a few weeks ago, we were talking about this one, we were talking about what's the purpose of the mind, the role of the mind. A lot of us think the role of the mind is to understand everything, to understand things more completely. But the role of the mind, the goal of the mind, the purpose of your mind is to awaken your heart, to see and to think and to consider things in such a way that something comes alive inside of you. I think about how this got kind of beat out of us. As we're children, we learn some things, and the more we seem to learn and understand, the more controllable they seem. And when they seem controllable, we sort of use them for our own will and our own way. That's, the, that's sort of the way life works. And so funny the way I think about this, I remember if you're in fourth grade, I remember this, this got destroyed for me in the fourth grade. And what happened in the fourth grade? I learned about the water cycle. Do you know what the water cycle is? Remember this? You would draw like a picture of a lake, and you draw a picture of the sun, you draw some clouds. Fourth grade on construction paper with crayons, we did this. And you learn about evaporation, condensation, precipitation, collection. And it just makes perfect sense. It's like, oh, this is a piece of cake, man. The water just like evaporates from the lake. It goes up in the sky. It forms water. And then it just falls back to the earth. This is, we understand this. We're, we're, no longer, we're no longer in awe of this. We're just annoyed by it. Because now when thunderstorms happen, we're not like excited about them. We're not like going, oh my gosh. We're like, I can't believe it's raining because I have to have a raincoat or an umbrella or it's going to make this later. Traffic's going to be bad or people forget how to drive when it's raining. All the things that we think, instead of stopping and going, in that cloud, there's 2.3 billion pounds of water just hanging out. That's just a thunderstorm. We talk about things. You ever listen to scientists talk about astronomy? You know, the star is like 17 million light years away. Like it's like down the street. To stop and to think about that, how far 186,000 miles per second over, it's just like your mind, you can't even comprehend it. You don't understand that. You're in awe of it. Those are just the things that God has created. That's not him himself. When's the last time you sat down and just tried to enjoy him? Not what he gives to you, not what he, but just who he is. It's interesting. In the same passage, look at this in the first week, John 16. Jesus gives this, he's making this, uh, he's talking to his disciples. In this one chapter, he gives us two promises. He says, you're going to see me in such a way that nothing will take away your joy. And then just a few verses later, he says, and he promises that the world is always going to be full of trouble. In Jesus' mind, he did not have a problem saying, there's going to be a joy that you don't have taken away, and there's going to be a world of trouble that you're going to live in. Those two things were not at odds with each other. I talk to people all the time, people who are, who are Christians, who are trying to follow Christ, and they are frustrated, and they're angry, and they're tired, and they're exhausted, and I get it. They're mad about politics, and they're mad about the condition of the country, and the condition of the world, and they're mad about the pandemic, and they're mad about this, and they're frustrated by that. And what I'm, what, the reason this is so important to me, the reason this is so important to us, because this is, this is not sort of patronizing to make us feel better about ourselves. This is actually a pervasive reality that has been given to us if we will learn to walk with him. It does not negate sorrow. It does not negate grief. This is not a put a grin on your face and bear it. This is about really learning how to depend on something that is so deep that it brings something to you that no circumstance can, threat, uh, can threaten. And that's what allows us to engage in the world around us, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult things get. 
But we've got to have a way to think about this. And this is what I want to try to help us understand over the next few minutes that we have together. If you've been around Port City very long, you know that I have uh, these sort of three convictions, these foundations that I use. The reason is because I'm a simple guy and I need a really concise way to process things. If I get more than like three or four things, I can't figure it out anymore. I just like I'll lose the ability to see things. And so years and years and years ago, I began to kind of keep a list to myself and probably in my late 20s. And then by the time I was in my early 30s, um, I kind of listed these three things out. And they became kind of the linchpin, the, the foundation. I call them my foundational convictions. This is how I process everything. Every issue is processed through these three statements. So if you've been here, this is familiar. If you're not, uh, this may be new for you. It's worth writing down. Number one is if God created life, he alone gets to define it. If God is the one who created life, then he gets to define it. If God says, I have designed your life to be found inside of my love, I have to find a way to come underneath that or I have to choose to pursue it somewhere else. Life is surfing, life is ambition, life is this, life is that. But if God's created life, then I've got to trust him and look to him to bring definition to it. How does this play out in my own existence? That's number one. I believe number two is every longing at its core is a longing to be alive. Every deep thing that we feel, every uh, propensity to sinful behaviors, all those deep desires that we feel sometimes so strongly and sometimes so strongly for wrong things is rooted in something that we want. This is every created thing was built with some desire. It's everybody. Everybody is built. We want something. And this is why I think human beings are moved by generosity and kindness and compassion. Everybody's moved by those because those are fingerprints of the image in which we've been made. So we're all hungry for them. We all want them. We all desire them. It's in us. We all want for the world to be right. We all want for justice to be done. All these things are in us because they are fingerprints of the image in which we've been created by God himself. But I would even take it a step further is that you and I, every human being, have been made by God and we've been made for God. We've been made by God and we've been made for God and you will not find meaning or purpose or a sustaining uh, way of joy apart from him. You were made to be loved. You were made to, be, to see and to behold someone's pleasure and someone's uh, love for you. You were made to be loved. And what I believe is that God is loved. Therefore, it stands to reason that you have been made for God. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will do it. So we've got to get there first. You've got to just kind of wrestle with that. Every longing at its core is a longing for that. That's what you want. That's what I've had to convince myself. No, I want this. And I was like, no, I really want this. And the longer I live, the more I find out that is absolutely true. <clears throat> and then number three came from me, uh, came to me really from reading the book of Colossians. And it's just this little passage uh, in the back of the Bible, a little letter. And it was a phrase in between two commas. And it said, when Christ, comma, who is our life. I remember just stopping there and underlining that. It didn't say when Christ brings me life, when Christ makes life available, when Christ leads me into life. It just says when Christ, who is our life, that somehow he actually is my life. Whatever is in him is what I need for life. And that began the third thing, which is simply the phrase, three words, Christ is life. And I've spent the last 15 years trying to understand what that means. And I'll probably spend the next 30 or 40 trying to figure out what it means. But what I'm convinced that it means is that there's a way in which we've been invited to live that brings us a source 
to learn how to live in his presence and to trust him and to see him. And this is really the invitation that I want to bring us into today. When it comes to joy, I want to make sure I remind you of the definition, the way we've defined it, because it does tie in to exactly what we just talked about. The joy is a resulting emotion. It's more than emotion, but it is a resulting emotion. It is emotion of being loved by God that fuels life with him. That his love for us provides the life that we're looking for. And so when we are loved by him, it allows us to live in that. Therein is where our life is found, life with him. To be loved in such a way that we live like that, that it comes out of us. That's the point. That is life itself. And to do this in such a way that it drives and defines everything else. Can you allow your relationship with God to be the governing and defining thing by which everything else finds its purpose? That's the question on the table. And what we're invited into is to consider Jesus. A lot of us have had these desires, these wantings, these longings that have just been pushed off and pushed off and pushed off. And what happens to us a lot of times is we just sort of give up, we get numb, or we get really, really graspy. Test yourself. Like, where are you? Are you have you just grown cynical? Because nothing's ever going to work out for you. It's always going to be like this. You sort of lost any hope that anybody can be different. You're jaded. You don't see people with any measure of hope. You're just kind of stuck in your circumstance. And what you've resolved to do is I'm just going to do the best I can with what I've got and let everybody else do their thing. That's what graspiness does. There's a sufficiency to joy, something that is available to you that I think hopefully reshapes that. Proverbs 13, 12 has become one of my kind of go-to verses. Proverbs 13, 12, it says this. It says, hope deferred makes a heart sick. Hope deferred makes a heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. I love this, right? If, you, if you've applied to colleges or if you've been in college, right, you know what deferment is. You apply to the college of your dreams, they send you a letter. We love you, but you can't come till spring. You're deferred. Can't come right now. It's going to be later. Get to spring. Oh, it's later. It's get to, everything feels like it's later. It's always, well, if you didn't, it feels like a carrot on a stick, right? It's just out there somewhere. Hope deferred just makes your heart shrivel up and your soul die. Some of you have been living this for a long time. Hope deferred makes a heart sick, but a desire fulfilled allows us to be firmly planted, like the Hebrews would have said it like this, to be firmly planted by streams of living water so they're constantly nourished and their leaf does not wither. There's life always available. That's the picture. So what is desire fulfilled? Does it just mean when you, that you get what you want? I think it's more than that. There's something else that has to be there because we know we don't always get what you want. In fact, the Beatles sang about that, Right? We got, we got to have a way to deal with this. So how does desire stay alive and thrilling and full of wonderment and not become disappointment? Some of you just stopped wanting. When our desires become demands, and that's what happens, when we want something so bad, we begin to demand it of other people and of God himself. We start to pull, we start to grasp. When that happens, it's the end of two things. Number one, it's the end of wonder. 
And number two, it's the end of grace. When you are demanding from everybody else, you cannot receive grace because you were always in the posture to take. And this is exactly what we begin to see in the way Jesus did things. A lot of times our questions, right, our demands become questions. We demand that God explain himself to us as though his ways were not higher than ours. I want to consider just for a moment what the incarnation is, what Christmas is. God comes to earth. God is going to reveal himself to all of humanity to say this is what God looks like when he comes to earth. Think about it. You should have a list of things you would do if you were God. Everybody should have that list. Because that's what always helps you determine your will from his will, right? I know what kind of things I would do without, if I were God. Traffic would part. I'd have all kinds of power at my disposal. Stand in line never again, right? I would use that for my own advantage every single time. Things that you would do if you were God. Think about this. If you were God, how would you reveal yourself to humanity? How would you show up? I mean, just think about it. I know what the picture in my head, it's Aladdin. Dun, da, da, dun, 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 da, da, dun. Elephants, drums, Prince Ali, mighty is he. Right? It's, it's like the whole parade, man. There will be no doubt who is king. Isn't that how you would do it? We, we'd all do it this way. We would all do it this way. This is not at all what God did. This is not at all what he did. If you were coming, if you were in charge of this, you would make sure that God's power was seen. You would make sure that his might was seen. You would make sure that anybody who opposed him bowed their knee to him, to you, to me. You would ensure that. You would make sure that it was obvious of how right he was and how pure he was. You would make it obvious those things. And you would certainly... Leave him no risk to ever be rejected. For God himself to enter into his creation and to be rejected by the things or by the ones that he had created. The artist rejected by, their, by his art. Can you imagine this? You would never do this. And what does it say to us? It says that the way we see things is not at all the way God sees things. When we say, we talk about this, right? To seek first his kingdom means that you and I are not likely to see it at our first pass. We have to keep gazing and keep gazing and fix our eyes and set our sights and seek first his kingdom because his ways are higher than ours. They're different than ours. I mean, the number of conversations I've had over the years, whenever some celebrity finds Christ, they're like, this is, the, this is the revival we've all been waiting for. Someone famous and popular in our culture knows Jesus, and that's going to affect everything else. There is nothing that is more opposite than the way of God than that. Nothing. Read the Bible. This is why, this is why what I'm talking about is so important. A lot of us are going to put all of our stock, all of our hope, that if we change certain systems, we do certain things, then we'll have joy. It will not work like that. Until you find joy in his presence, every other joy is going to be temporary. It is going to be hope deferred and your heart is going to grow sicker and sicker and sicker. But if you learn this joy, if you learn this hope, your life becomes fruitful. A tree of life nourishing other people and bringing beauty and the hope of redemption to the world around us, regardless of the condition of the world in which we live. Am I suggesting that we don't stop fighting and working towards things? 100% no. What I am saying is we need to get something else in order first. So here's what I've been thinking about. Hebrews chapter 12. This passage is a classic. It, it, it talks about the 
cloud of witnesses that have gone before us, and it lists all these folks in Hebrews 11, um, you know, uh, Abraham and, uh, you know, just this list, litany of, of people who've gone before, who were faithful before. And this is how he writes with the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let us run, let us, let us set our foot to doing exactly what is called, uh, uh, called out of us and available to us. And let us do that with a sense of endurance and perseverance. It acknowledges that it is not going to be easy. And here's what he says to us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. I love the phrase, the pioneer, right? That's the one who goes with the machete and just waxes, clears the way. When you can't see, you can't figure it out, you don't know where the trail is, this is the one who does it. Jesus is the pioneer. He is the author. He's the writer. And he's the, 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 the perfecter, is the one who brings fulfillment to it. He's the one who does that. And to fix our eyes on him, don't take your eyes off him. That's, that's the purpose. That's the, the, the emphasis. And here's the motive. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God. A lot of us read these passages and we underline them in their Bibles and go, oh, that's a cool verse. I want you to think about this. For the joy set before him, what's the picture in your head? More than likely, it's the carrot on the stick. The joy is out there, and if I can get, if I can get that joy... That's, that's what's going to fulfill. Who for the joy set before him, look at what he did. He endured the cross. He scorned its shame. That's not something that's going to happen later. That's something that happens as he went. What he said was the cross, the execution method that was given to Jesus was designed to be the most shame-inducing and humiliating form of punishment known. They put them out publicly to say, this is the kind of person that you do not want to be. That was the ultimate shaming and canceling in that day and age. Don't pay any attention to this person. They're just dying on a cross. Just walk, just, this is who you do not want to be. And what Jesus said, he scorned the shame. He basically modeled for us that he is not going to let, let circumstances or the ways of this world have that kind of power over him for the joy set before him he did these other things. He was able to live like this. I think the picture is that joy is available in the moment, it comes like grace. In the moment, sufficient for the moment, as we need it, when we need it. And it's just there for us to walk and we fix our eyes on him. And then he adds this, and I think this is to me the most interesting part about this. Consider him. Consider, look, see, put your mind to him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you'll not grow weary or lose heart. I, what, I, what I always do is consider him so I don't lose heart. Because losing heart is the opposite of what Jesus promised. Right? In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart of overcoming the world. The scorn, the shame, the things that threaten your well-being do not, in this world do not have the final say when you are with me. When you understand that you are loved by me. 
Consider him and you will not lose heart. But it says, consider who endured such opposition from sinners. So this is what's really interesting to me. Okay, so just stay with me. You're like, oh, what is he doing? Here's, here's what's interesting. When I consider, when I say, okay, if I'm on the cross, if I'm, if I'm gonna scorn the shame, and, I'm gonna consider, and what I'm considering is, is the hostility that was brought to him by these sinners, what solace do I find? What sense of peace do I find, find in the fact that the people who uh, punished him um, that we're going to reflect on that. Where do we find peace? And you know where this is going, right? When, when I consider who did something bad to him, how do I find peace and justice in that? That is that something bad happens to them. Think about this. What do you think? If you're, you're driving and you know there's a lot of police officers around and you're driving and you're, you're real careful driving, you're driving the speed limit and someone goes zinging by you. What do you think? What's the thought that pops in your head? What do you hope for them? That's exactly, you're like, dude, I hope they get pulled over. And when they do, you are like, told you. It like, it does something for us. We sort of think that when we're gonna, we're gonna consider Jesus, that those who endured him, the reason is because somehow they are gonna get punished. They're gonna pay for what they've done. You realize what Jesus said. When you consider Jesus, what he said, when he was on that cross, remember this? Father, forgive them. I don't think it was theater. I don't think it's going, this is going to make a good line in a play one day. I think it was real. It was reflecting in his heart. When the only way we can find solace for someone who does something to hurt us or harm us is that they will one day be punished. That is karma. That is not the gospel. To consider Jesus means you've got to think differently than you normally think. To consider him means you've got to see and you've got to wonder how in the world could God love us so much that he would forgive those would offer forgiveness to those who put nails in his wrists. Like that's, what kind of love is that? That's not, oh, I've got some. What I want for us to consider is this idea of wonder. We were built and we were created with a sense of a wonder of God's love. To just live in it, to trust in it, to believe it, to find life in it, to find fulfillment in it, to find freedom in it. That's how we're built. But something happened to us. These desires, these things that we, we feel, when we don't get them, it's deferred. We begin to demand them. And then our demands become questions. And what happens is we were intended to see God and to wonder and to worship God. That's the first command, to worship the Lord your God. Let your heart be awakened in wonderment to him. And we exchanged our worship with a question. It's no longer a wonder of God's love. It now becomes I wonder if God loves. And you look around at all of your circumstances. Sorry, it's not even an ellipses. It's a question. I wonder if God loves me. I wonder if he cares about me. I wonder if he sees me. I wonder if he's concerned for me. And what we then try to do is we try to find a way to get the answers to those questions. And that becomes our quest 
You're always trying to figure out if circumstances go right, then I know that maybe he loves me. But there's always that underlying question. What happens to us when we lose this capacity is we substitute our worship for a question and we spend our whole lives trying to answer those questions. What I would suggest to you is it's time to flip the script on that. That perhaps in spending your life trying to figure out how those questions get answered, instead, maybe trust what he's already done when he said, for God so loved the world that he came and he gave his son to demonstrate his love for us, for you, and for me. And instead of trying to say, I wonder if God loves, just to stop and to consider Jesus and a wonder of how in the world could he love like that and let your heart be awakened. What I'm asking you to do is to surrender your questions. I'm not saying they're not important. Please hear me. I'm a question asker. I believe that great questions are better than good answers, right? The right answers to the wrong questions is no help. But don't start there. When you, when you surrender your questions, you're not saying they're not important. You're simply acknowledging there's something more that might be available. And what if, right? What if instead of spending your whole life trying to find evidence in your circumstances of God's love and care and concern for you, you begin to consider the one whom he gave as a demonstration of his love for you, just to consider him and to worship him, to claim and to wonder about his love, not in a I wonder if, but in a wonder of his love. And just let your heart and your mind be set on that. Might it be that something else happens in us? For some of you, it's been so long since you have enjoyed God's presence because of the questions. Maybe there are why questions. Why did you? Why did you allow? Maybe there are what questions? What am I gonna do? What are you gonna do? How questions? How am I gonna figure this out? How am I gonna get through this? They're good questions. What I would ask you to do is to surrender them for a moment, not because they're not important, because perhaps there's something more. And what if you fixed your eyes, like fixed your eyes, considered, used your mind, so your heart is awakened to the wonder of his love for you. And perhaps in that moment, in that place, you would find just this pervasive, unshakable, undeniable joy. Something just met you in that moment just enough to allow you to continue, right? To allow you to give, to allow you to offer yourself, to allow you to show up. Let us run with perseverance the race that God has set out before us. That means he has a purpose for you. He has things that he intends for you to be a part of. He needs us to show up. He invites us to show up. For the joy that was set before him, he said that there's no circumstance in this world that's going to have authority over the reality that I belong to the Father. And that's what his love does. For us. So I'm going to invite you as we close our time to do something very simple. I just want you to sit where you are. Maybe the questions that you have, I just want you to, you're going to bow our head and close. I'm going to read this prayer 
uh, from the book of Ephesians from uh, Paul as he's writing his heart for the church. And this is really where I've been reflecting on our, sort of my heart for our church as we're thinking about some things for next year. But it just strikes me at how profound this prayer is for what we're actually talking about today. So I invite you to bow your head, to close your eyes, and maybe turn your hands up in your lap just as a posture of surrender and say, God, I've got questions and, and they have become demands. I want to know why you did this or why you won't do this or why you're not giving me this. Or Those are real emotional things that we feel. We're not denying those. We're just gonna surrender them. We're gonna make them available to him and say, perhaps there's something more that's available to us. And here's how Paul prays. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being, in the depths of your heart, in the places where you want so desperately, he'll meet you there so that Christ will dwell there. He'll dwell there through faith. And I pray that you will be rooted and established in love. And God's has said his great love, loving kindness, steadfast love directed towards you. And may you have the power together with all of us gathered here, both in this room and the other rooms in online, that there would be this power that we experience together as the Lord's people. And here's what he says, to grasp, not to be graspy, but to grasp what's been made available how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Jesus Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses all of our knowledge, it surpasses your questions, it surpasses your demand for answers, it surpasses all those things, and here's why. I want you to just receive this so that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness, all the fullness of God, and therein find joy. Father, I ask that as we just take a moment to grasp how wide and how deep and how long is the love that you have for us, just to try and behold that, to wonder how you would awaken our hearts to it. Father, we confess that often we come to you and we're not trying to worship, we're trying to get you to tell us where you stand on issues or how we figure this out or how we do that or how we deal with this or how we deal with that. God, we just wanna enjoy what you've promised to us. Let us wonder about how wide and how deep and how long your love is for us. That we would be filled to all fullness with the joy that is found in your presence. God, do that. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. 
Amen.